0: Welcome to the Lagon Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagon Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, lagonvalleyvineyard.com. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. So good to see you all here in the venue. And if you're at home watching, so good to have you with us. Thank you for tuning in. We have got another week or so left in our summer teaching series, The Rebuild. And here's what we've been talking about really all summer. We as a church, we want to center our lives on the central teaching of Jesus, which is to love God and to love others. But we also recognize that for us to do that really well, and for us to do that sustainably over the long haul of our lives, there's some really deep work that needs to be done behind the scenes. There's some hidden work, some heart work, some soul work that needs to be done, which will help release us into the ways of love. And so we've been exploring over the summer, what does it look like for us to develop an emotionally healthy spirituality, where we learn to be before we do, where we learn to see our limitations as a blessing, where we discover that there is actually treasure buried deep within grief, where we learn to reject the ways of consumerism and center ourselves on the cruciform way of Christ. And as Dana so helpfully showed us last week, I think it's important for us to learn to do the work of building a strong spiritual framework or scaffolding around our lives so that when, not if, but when we hit the wall on the road of following after Jesus, we don't crash out of the journey, but we keep on going. Essentially, in this series, we've been exploring what does it look like for us to move beyond shallow spirituality and to enter into deep discipleship. And so today, I want to continue the conversation by exploring how we can continue to love God and love others, particularly whenever we reflect upon our weaknesses and the parts of our lives that make us feel kind of vulnerable. So if you've got a Bible with you today in the building or at home, can I invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, towards the end of the New Testament, Second Corinthians chapter 11. And if you're with us in the building, can I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word? Let's stand together. This is 2 Corinthians 11, verse 30. We'll start there. Come, Holy Spirit. If I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness, Paul says. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. Drop down with me to verse 1 of chapter 12. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to revelations and visions from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. And whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I'll boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself. Except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord, given to us so that we may know the glory of the Father, may practice the way of the Son, And be filled over and over and over again by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. You can grab a seat. Have you ever held a beach ball under the water for any length of time? You kind of shove it down. You hold it down at the beach. If you do that, you'll realize it kind of takes it out of you. So often, this kind of simple beach ball analogy, I think is how we handle our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities. Like a beach ball we take the parts of us that hurt and we bury them we shove them underneath the surface of our lives now the idol of our age is to present an image of ourselves of having it all together and so the weaker parts of our nature the frail parts of our bodies the wounded bits of our hearts we kind of grab them like a beach ball and we suppress them underneath the surface the thing is though whenever we force them down deeper and deeper there always comes an awkward moment whenever the beach ball just pops out and we have no control over it. It causes a bit of a splash. And if you're anything like me, the results are oftentimes pretty ugly. Before God and before others, we feel as if we can't appear weak. And so for many of us, whenever it comes to practicing our faith, we shove our woundedness and our vulnerabilities as deep as we possibly can. And yet, I want to put to you today one thing, and it's simply this, that to be fully, truly human is to embrace the paradox that we are all strong and we are all weak, oftentimes at exactly the same time. I think we need to to develop a much better way of thinking about weakness. We need to develop a better theology of weakness. And like all good theology, that begins by having a conversation with Hannah, first of all, and also by looking at the life of Jesus, who in embodying the fullest and truest expression of humanity was both strong and he was weak. Now, we recognize Jesus' strength and his authority, don't we? But whenever you begin to explore Jesus's life, what is first surprising, even shocking, is just how much of his life was full of vulnerability. Jesus... Was born dependent upon a peasant teenage mother, into poverty and into obscurity. It's really important for us this week, of all weeks, to remember that Jesus lived as a refugee in Egypt, and he lived later on in the badlands of Nazareth, a backward town. He was practically homeless. He had no possessions. He was dependent upon the hospitality of others all the time. Whenever crowds went looking for him, as they did all the time, Jesus oftentimes was nowhere to be seen. He got tired. He napped, praise God, we can do that too, and he wept at the graveside of his friends. Time and time again, we see throughout the Gospels, Jesus kept trying to explain to his disciples what would await him in Jerusalem, but his disciples couldn't quite get their heads around it because they couldn't see that strength and power are made perfect in death and in weakness. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem was on a donkey. He was betrayed and sorrowful to the point of death. He goes to pray in the garden before he is arrested, before the beatings, and before the abandonment. And hanging on a Roman cross, Jesus doesn't cry out the words of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Instead, he cries out the words of the psalm before it, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Before Jesus, naked, naked, alone, wounded, breathes out his last. Vulnerability is ultimately taking a risk. It's taking the risk on being wounded. And it's a risk that we take, particularly whenever we seek to live life to its fullness. And in the way of Jesus, we see something that doesn't really make an awful lot of sense to us, that vulnerability is the thing that releases the love and the power of God. Jesus never suppressed his weaknesses like a beach ball under the water. Instead, he shows us the way of flourishing because just as the power and love of Jesus was made known through the cross, so his authority is also released through our weaknesses and vulnerabilities. In fact, maturity in Christ is often matched by an ever-increasing sense of our own weaknesses. Consider the life of Paul. Raymond, do you want to flick up the first slide for me there? In AD 49, um, Paul was an apostle. Uh, he was a, an apprentice of Jesus for about 14 years. And he's speaking about the other apostles. And he says this, As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. You can kind of hear a sense of competitiveness. Paul's trying to be a baller. doesn't really work out for him. It feels a little bit clunky and awkward whenever he says these things. Roll on six years later, and Paul says, I am the least of all of the apostles. Notice in six years, the softening of Paul's heart as he recognizes his own weaknesses. Five years later, he says this, I am the least of the Lord's people. Paul's saying, I'm not even the least of the apostles. I'm actually the least of any followers of Jesus. And then two years before he dies in AD 65, he goes on even further to say, I am the worst, not of the apostles, not of Christians, but of every single person. While he was going on this inward journey of softening, recognizing his own weaknesses, it's really important for us to recognize that Paul's authority in Christ was actually increasing all of the time. As Paul goes on this inward journey towards his weaknesses, not pushing them down, but befriending them, we actually see that there were more miracles taking place. There were more church plants, there were more leaders that were being established. There were more signs and wonders. Paul became stronger by embracing his weaknesses rather than trying to push them down. Which leads us to our teaching text today. If you've still got your Bible open or if you haven't, turn with me again to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me give you a little bit of context here. Paul was the founding pastor of the church in Corinth. And as he would do, he'd plant a church, establish some leaders, and then he would move on. But as Paul moved on, the church began to be led by a bunch of what he would call super apostles, a bit of a dig from him there. These were leaders that came to Corinth, trying to impress everybody with how strong, how talented, and how impressive they were. And they used to slag off Paul all of the time. He'd say, Paul's poor. He's always been persecuted. He's always moaning. He's always a bit angry. And also, he is not a good communicator, but look at us, the super apostles were rich we're talented, we're impressive, so come and follow us. And in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, Paul has been going after these super apostles. They've been attacking his credibility, so he begins to lay out all of his credentials. But in verse 30, just while Paul is getting going eight-mile style, he pivots, and he says this, if I must boast, I will boast in things that show my weakness. And then at the start of chapter 12, He begins to share a story about a bloke who he knows has experienced the most dramatic encounter with Christ. He's been literally led into the throne room of Christ in the heavenlies. This is the encounter that all of us want to experience if we follow Jesus. But what's really fascinating about this is that it is very likely that the bloke that Paul is talking about is actually Paul himself. Paul's playing us here. He's deflecting And he's pretending that he's talking about somebody else because he doesn't want to play the super apostles game. And why? Because he begins to see that strength and authority and power with Jesus gets turned completely upside down. In verse 5 of chapter 12, he says this, I will boast in my weaknesses. And why? Well, in verse 9, he hears the word of the Lord. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul goes on to say, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. As followers of Jesus, we have a choice to make. Either we can choose to live like the super apostles, like superhumans, suppressing our weaknesses down like a beach ball, trying to appear strong and impressive and in control. But here's the thing, live that way, And the only power that we have access to is the power that we're able to generate for ourselves or the power that we can manipulate out of others. Or if we choose not to just disown our weaknesses, but own them, befriend them, a grace, an all-sufficient grace is received and the power of Jesus begins to rest on us. The question is, are we content just clinging really tightly to our own power? Or are we open to living open-handedly to the power of Jesus in and through our lives, the one with whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given? Our weaknesses, they actually possess a bit of a secret power. They open us up and they invite us to draw upon the power of someone who is so much stronger than we are. In verse 7, Paul mentions that he's been able to avoid believing his own hype because of a thorn in his flesh. Now, we don't know what this thorn is exactly, but we can tell that it provides him with a constant state of weakness, so much so that Paul asks for it to be removed three times. Now, his turn of phrase is really interesting here. Because he's echoing that moment in Jesus' crucifixion whenever a crown of thorns is placed on his head. At Jesus' weakest moment, a crown of thorns is placed on his head to mock him. When actually through the lens of the kingdom, this is the crowning moment for the king of kings who because he risked it all and rose from the grave is now sat at the seat of glory and rules with an authority that is making everything new what am I trying to say? To release the authority that will resurrect all things. Jesus didn't dismiss the weak and wounded state. Instead, he fully inhabited it. Weakness doesn't restrict us from the power of God. We actually get to draw upon his perfect power in our weakness. Vulnerability, it doesn't hold us back from the authority of the kingdom. In fact, It may just be the thing that actually releases it. I don't need to go into any details because it would be remarkably unhelpful for both you and me, but you can just trust me whenever I say this. Time and time again over the course of my life, there has been one consistent pattern. It is in the moments whenever I am weakest, the moments whenever I'm most fragile, in the moments whenever I'm grieving, in the moments whenever I feel stuck, in the moments whenever life hits me the hardest that I can say that I have experienced the life of Jesus in the most powerful of ways. It's in the moments whenever I've learned to be real and honest with what's going on with me, but I choose to not allow my heart to get hard or allow my despair to just take over my life. It's in the moments whenever I cling on to God's faithfulness and not blame him, but live open to the wounded healer, binding up my broken heart, And whenever I, in surrender, just simply show up obedient with barely nothing to offer, that I have found time and time again that Jesus shows up in supernatural power. Yes, I have my questions. Yes, I have my laments. But it is in the moments of humble, even hurting obedience, whenever I am at my weakest, at my most vulnerable that the only way that you can describe it is that the love and power of Jesus just rests on me and I've been able to experience the kingdom come in the most profound of ways. And while I don't seek out hardship because that would be stupid, I've come to see that hurt and hardship doesn't exclude me from the love and the life of Jesus. In fact, it invites me deeper into it. We're all vulnerable. And yet we don't quite know what to do with our vulnerabilities. We don't quite know what to do with our weaknesses. And so that's why it's really important today to kind of go in depth, I think, and talk about this, particularly for two reasons. Because embracing our weaknesses, I believe, leads us deeper into the love of Jesus and actually leads us towards other people with that same love. Let me bust a lie for a moment. It's the lie that we need to have it all together whenever it comes to our relationship with Jesus. So in those moments, whenever we hurt, whenever we're grieving, whenever we're dealing with hardship, we feel as if we need to shove it under the surface even before we enter into the presence of Jesus or approach him. We believe the lie that Jesus wants to only interact with the best versions of ourselves rather than the real versions of ourselves. And so sometimes we're ashamed of the hurt and the hardship that we carry or how long we've been carrying it for. And just like shame avoids eye contact, so we avoid the loving gaze of Jesus, believing that what we're going through is a bit of a like, punishment that kind of pushes us out of his love. If you're thinking like that, in the most gentle of ways, can I invite you to repent to change the way that you think because that is the wrong way to look at the nature of God. Because as the psalmist writes, the Lord is near to those whose hearts are broken. He saves those whose spirits are crushed. Listen to me, please. Weakness and vulnerability, they don't separate you from the love of God. They actually enfold you deeper into it. Or as Anne Voskamp so beautifully would say, what if the deeper you know your own brokenness, the deeper you get to experience your own sense of belovedness? That is the gospel right there. We don't need to hide our hurts from Jesus. We can be honest with him because he is our great high priest who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses so we can approach his throne of grace with confidence so that we're able to receive mercy and find grace at our time of need. We can live open and unafraid with God because in our weaknesses, he rushes towards us. He embraces us with tender love and he whispers to us, I'm right here. Let's talk about others for a moment. Because whenever we bump up against our own weaknesses, I think it's easy for us to become quite inward, right? A bit focused on ourselves and ourselves alone. Now, I want to be really clear before I say what I'm about to say. Whenever we go through hard, difficult things, it is essential for us to take care of ourselves, to go gentle on ourselves, to receive help, to make some healthy choices, to receive good counsel, and to rest period, right? And yet, even at our weakest of moments, we are still invited to center our lives on the central teaching of Jesus to love God and to love others. Paul says this earlier on in his letter to the church in Corinth. It's going to appear on the screen. We are hard-pressed On every side, but we are not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we here are alive, are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. And notice verse 12, so then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Paul is going through some pretty heavy things right here and he's left humbled. And yet, despite all of that, he remains obedient to the ways of Jesus, even as he hurts. Death is a work in him, but others around him are experiencing life. I believe that real life living in the kingdom of heaven oftentimes looks like Romans chapter, uh, Romans chapter five, where suffering produces perseverance, Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Hope, by the way, which is the New Testament nickname for resurrection. Because even as we, in our suffering, choose to continue to love God and to love others, that shapes our very nature through our perseverance. And in fact, it releases resurrection for other people to encounter even though we may have so little to offer, even though we may not even have 1% to offer, even at our weakest of points, if we choose to take the form of the servant, I find and I wholeheartedly believe that Jesus supernaturally takes the little that we offer and multiplies it so that other people are able to experience resurrection. This is the way of Jesus where he was obedient to the point of death, so that resurrection power was able to transform the world. Our vulnerabilities don't rule us out from the ways of the kingdom, because in the economy of the kingdom, through our hardship, hope is released. I've talked a lot. I've went quite deep. But I'm really just trying to say one thing from multiple different angles. So often we misunderstand the power and the significance of our lives, particularly in the moments whenever we hurt. We have this misunderstanding that weakness and vulnerability, they pull us out of God's game. But I'm hoping that you're beginning to see as I just talk and talk and talk that our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities, whenever they're coupled with humble obedience, in fact, they invite us to play an even greater role in God's game than we could even imagine. It is his authority that is released through our vulnerability. Let me get practical as I come into land and before we worship together, because I think it's so important for us to consider how are we able to handle our vulnerabilities well rather than push them down and suppress them like a beach ball. And I want to share two practices with you, two practices that I want to invite you to begin to practice this week. And the first one is confession Confession prayer is a really helpful tool that allows us to see things really, really clearly, to see that we're not superhuman. Confession helps me all the time dismantle the false self that I'm trying to portray before other people. Do you know those moments in your day whenever you're stuck, whenever you don't see things kind of clearly, you're feeling a bit tired, feeling a bit frail, you're trying to process pretty heavy emotions like anger or hurt or disappointment or shame or confusion? It's just like a Tuesday for me. Um, Can I encourage you in those moments to not just reserve confession for like the most heinous of sins, but actually to bring it into everyday prayer, to take a moment in those days on my Tuesdays to pray a simple prayer of confession. One of my heroes, Eugene Peterson, has this one prayer that he used to say all of the time, which is, Lord, make me a saint because I am so far from it. John Wimber used to have this one prayer which went like this, help. And I find myself oftentimes praying one simple prayer of confession, which is simply this, Lord, I do not know what I am doing. And I really, really need you. I literally pray that a couple of times a day. We be- Whenever we begin to pray like that, we become so much more comfortable with the reality that we're human that we're not God, but that actually we become really open to his power in the midst of our weakness. Confession like this can become as simple and as life-giving as breathing, where we just breathe out our weaknesses before God and just breathe in his grace. The second practice I want to talk about is the practice of soul friends. Whenever Jesus got up from the table to go to Gethsemane, he brought Peter James and John with him, the same three disciples that he would bring with him to his transfiguration, which is this moment of divine strength. But this night was really different. He tells them, My soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Keep watch with me. Stay here. Now, we know that these blokes did not do a good job that night. But I want you to notice that at Jesus' most fragile of moments, he didn't want to be alone. The danger of our social media-fueled age is that we think that we can share our vulnerabilities with the world to kind of get it out there quickly and then get the dopamine high. By the way, just kind of side note, I would strongly discourage anybody to share anything overtly vulnerable online, particularly because Jesus shows us the true and better way. Last week, Dana shared about the importance of establishing your village. People who, within Celtic spirituality, are known as anamkara or soul friends. A small band of people with whom you can be raw and real in the circumstances of your life. Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs puts it like this. The greatest single antidote to pain is conversation. Speaking our fears, listening to the fears of others... And in that sharing of vulnerabilities, discovering a genesis of hope. Over the years, Em and I have pulled together a small ragtag band of Anamkara, a small, small group of friends who we're able to be 100% fully ourselves with, as my wonderful wife would say. They're the friends who we call literally within minutes of life hitting us really hard, They're the friends who we confess our fears to. This week, I'm going to be meeting up with two of them. Actually, I'm going to be meeting up with three of these friends. And I know that I can be honest with them. I know that they're praying for me. I know that I can share my weaknesses with them. I know that I can be fully open, that with them, I can be safe and I can be loved. I need to meet with those people regularly because I have found that it is impossible to live a full life without trusted friends. So find out who they are. The trustworthy twos and threes, speak your fears to them. Be open and experience a genesis of hope. Hannah and the guys, do you guys wanna come on up? As James left Peter and James and John to go that little bit further into the garden He began to pray three times, just like Paul asked for the thorn to be taken from him three times. Jesus prayed, Lord, if you're willing, take this cup from me. This was a confession of utter vulnerability, and yet at his weakest of moments, in light of his love for the Father and his love for us, Jesus chose the path of humble obedience, praying, yet not as I will but as you will I honestly thought that the new normal would be easier how about you I think we're all still quite tired I think we have been pushing the beach ball down for like 18 months all of the fears the disappointments the heartache the insecurity and our arms are beginning to shake a little bit because it's just getting harder to keep it down. Right now, in this kind of new normal post-COVID world, actually, it's not even a post-COVID world, it's the thick of COVID world, we are all more aware of our vulnerabilities than we ever have been before. And the temptation for us all right now is to cave in on ourselves, to double down, to forget about others to forget about god actually i just need to focus in on me right now as i've said time and time again this morning our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities do not have to pull us out of god's game in fact it invites us to play an either, even greater role than we could even imagine Even if we are at 1%, even if we are crying out for the cup to be taken away from us, we have been invited to live the Christ life in the Christ way. And it looks like obedience. It looks like saying yes. Because whenever we choose to be humbly obedient to the higher call of loving God and loving others, even as we hurt, Jesus takes our lunch and he multiplies it. His power rests upon us, and our weakness is transfigured into supernatural strength. Whenever we learn to say yes to the things of God, even in the thick of our frailty, the power of Jesus rests on us. Because whenever we are weak, we actually are strong. Friends, we all have our cracks, but it is only through the cracks that the light of the world shines through. If you're able, would you stand with me? Can I invite you, before we worship, just to take a moment? You might want to close your eyes. You might want to breathe in, breathe out, just to settle into this moment. Let's just wait on the Lord for a second. hard all we can see is our sense of brokenness all we see is our weakness and we miss the even greater truth than the weakness that we feel which is the witness of Jesus regardless of what we're going through so before we sing can I just invite you in the next minute just to begin to practice this way of confession by praying simple prayers just between you and the Father recognizing where maybe you have just been so focused on yourself and you have not seen just how close Jesus has been with you your prayer may go something a little bit like Lord let me see you clearly Jesus I want to feel you Jesus let me know that you're there Just begin where you are right now, just to begin to pray simple prayers of confession, breathing out your weakness and breathing in His grace. approach you weak, fragile, frail this morning. But help us to see the even greater truth that you are with us, you're for us, and that you're faithful. Holy Spirit, I want to invite you just to come and to minister to us deeply, tenderly, and intimately as you're doing to the whole world, pulling together the broken and fragmented pieces of our lives and making us new. Jesus, we need you. We're so thankful that you're with us and that you're for us in every season and circumstance of life. Help us to see you clearly.